a fresh take on a track from a true jazz innovator. A deeply pocketed record from a legendary trumpeter. And a jazz song done the Disney way. You're listening to Themes and Variation. Themes and Variation is a podcast about music and perspectives brought to you by the online music school Soundfly. I'm your host, Carter Lee. Well, folks, another themes coming at you. And today we're talking gateway jazz songs. So if you're not already a lover of jazz, that's totally fine. Maybe some of these tracks will kind of help you dig into, to me, I think the most beautiful approach, the most authentic and organic uh, style of music that there is. If you're looking for deep harmony, jazz has it. If you're looking for just incredibly expansive rhythmic ideas, jazz, of course, has it. And of course, the high level of improvisation in this music is just second to none. And so joining me for a deep dive through this gateway is, of course, my frequent co-host, Mahaya Lee, and pianist, entrepreneur, and fellow podcast host, Peter Martin. I'm honestly not sure where to begin with Peter's bio because it is incredible. He's, of course, an acclaimed jazz pianist and the founder of Open Studio, an online jazz lessons resource. And Peter has also performed and recorded on six continents with Wynton Marsalis, Diane Reeves, Betty Carter, Christian McBride, Joshua Redman, as well as his own ensembles and many, many, many other artists. And he's also the co-host of one of my favorite podcasts, You'll Hear It, with Adam Manis. These guys dig really deep into jazz. I highly recommend checking it out. And speaking of things to check out, if you're a music lover, a curious musician, even a super high-level artist, do head to soundfly.com. We have some unbelievably extensive courses on mixing, harmony, beat-making, production, anything you could possibly want to know in music, we've got you covered. And maybe you're already familiar with our courses with artists like Kimbra and RJD2. We are hard at work with some incredible artists on some new courses that will be coming out very soon. And folks, if you're enjoying the show, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And on this episode, we get into all kinds of things like building your vocabulary in the language of jazz, how Wynton Marsalis truly was the internet for young improvisers, and we get into the beautiful intricacy of simplicity. So without further ado, let's get into the episode, Gateway Jazz Songs. Folks, another themes and variation coming at you. Joining me, of course, is Mahaya Lee. Mahaya, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Carter, and yourself? I am fantastic because we have an amazing guest for a fantastic theme for today's episode. We have the remarkable pianist, music director, entrepreneur, and fellow podcaster, Mr. Peter Martin. Peter, how you doing? I'm good. What's up, Carter? What's up, Mejia? Oh, man. I, I'm so excited. I'm a, a new massive fan of the You'll Hear It podcast. And I have to, <laughs> just on the title of the pod, I, I've been in many a jam session and been the guy who's like, wait, how does the turnaround go as the tune's being counted <laughs> in and been told like, you'll hear it and just being like freaking out as that's about to happen. So, but it's actually changed the 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 phrase for me. It's a very comfortable phrase for me now. So um, we're talking gateway jazz songs though. And of course we have a perfect guest in you, Peter, for this. I'm curious is there a, a seminal record or track for you that you can point to as 
that maybe steered you into a life of jazz and a career in, in uh, this beautiful style of music? Yeah, well, there's a couple, but one in particular that I always uh, think about. It was not like the first jazz record that I heard or anything because, uh, you know, my dad is, is is a musician, as is my mom. And I heard a lot of music growing up and a lot of jazz from before I even remember it. But um, Herbie Hancock Rocket, which mm. is not necessarily a jazz record. It was actually a really big hit and it was like on MTV when I was, I don't know, 12, 13 years old or something. And I used to fashion myself a uh, amateur break dancer because, it, because awesome. it, had, it hadn't made it into the Olympics at the time yet. I like, I think it is now. <laughs> so I was strictly amateur, but um, so I was, you, you know, kind of, and I was just listening to stuff on the radio as you do at that age, at that yeah. time. And um, so my dad sort of, I, I think I got the record or had borrowed it from somebody, the LP. And he's like, oh, Herbie Han Hancock. He's like, yeah, I, I got him on a lot of those Miles Davis records I got. And yeah. then he kind of connected the dots for me there. So in a lot of ways, that's what, you know, set me up. And then later on, Miles Davis, My Funny Valentine with Herbie Hancock playing. That's probably the thing that I heard that was just like, mm. wow, I want to do that. That's a perfect segue into our first track, actually, because, I mean, we're going to talk about that artist, of course, and Herbie, but also kind of, I think, how we're viewing these tracks, at least the first two selections, and maybe peaking <laughs> listeners' ears and getting into, like, you know, a little bit more groove-based, but, you know, well, I'll save some of those talking points for me, and why don't we listen to some music? Let's get into our first selection of the episode. Here we go. So, folks, just a little taste for you here. We're listening to Butterfly, this rendition from the Robert Glasper experiment. It did feel a little bit like sacrilege not picking the original Herbie Hancock. The undeniable link between hip-hop and jazz and just the obvious popularity of hip-hop, to use this as a gateway song to maybe get folks into more jazz listening, I wanted to bridge that gap a little bit. So right off the top, you have Chris Dave, Chris Daddy Dave with the <laughs> fluttering hi-hat, the like two sticks in the, in the right hand on the closed hi-hat, one of my favorite just random drum techniques ever. And Glasper's just pedal tone, just like the, the 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 groove set to that you could hear in MC. Uh, it gives us that that kind of bed for sure. But then instead we use it as as a bed for improvisation. So I looked at this. Wait, track hold on a second. Let me write that down. Yeah, bed for. <laughs> We're gonna make a course based on that. Improvisation. Okay, I like that. All right, cool. Go ahead. Oh man. Um, so looking at it from. 
two perspectives, the listener's perspective and then from maybe more of a player's perspective if mm. you're new to trying to play more improvised music. So from the listener's perspective, I'm trying to get you into the same rabbit hole, a similar rabbit hole that I went through yeah. and kind of developed more of a love of jazz. So Glasper wins a Grammy in 2011 <laughs> for Black Radio, right? And all of a sudden, yeah. maybe it's probably more in the public consciousness. I like that record a lot. It's not my favorite. Uh, truthfully, the trio records are now certainly my my favorite works. But yeah, it might push you to dig into some previous records. So Double Booked comes out in 20, uh, 2009, an all-time favorite where you've got the trio playing the first half of the record and then the, the experiment taking over the second half. So tr- truly Double Booked. He was in both of these worlds playing more R&B and hip-hop, but still had a remarkable uh, trio um, Peter, any of his trio recordings stick out to you or any favorites or, yeah, just your familiarity with, with uh, the Robert Glasper trio's work? Who's Robert Glasper exactly? Could you tell me that? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I actually love the experiment. Um, yeah. I do love the trio, and, and I've, I've heard the records, but I've heard the trio play more live. So uh, thanks, y'all, for coming out once again, and uh, I'll talk to y'all in a minute. We're going to play this. get into double booked too and like and we're opening up the gateway we're opening up the doors to jazz you might find think of one a a Thelonious Monk tune at the Mm -hmm. in on that record so you have Butterfly as a hip-hop infused uh jazz track on this and then you have think of one as a jazz infused hip-hop like the end of think of one they're sampling Dilla's stakes is high of monk is so vast but uh, uh peter any tracks stand out to you from thelonious monk that's like if you're just dipping your toes into his catalog that that are must listen yeah i mean underground that whole record um is as i think you know raise forth green chimneys like that that's just a really interesting record like most of like all of monk's recordings yeah. but the way that that's mm-hmm. put together and then the cover is so cool so like i always recommend that as a as an entry point think of one you know um i i think that there was a there's another lens that glass we probably looked at that too from monk certainly you know putting it through that hip-hop lens but also went marsalis recorded that very early on um in fact that was my first uh i'd heard it growing you know monk's music growing up but i was also young when that record came out but i remember i was like man that's cool that, that winton tune is great and winton told me himself he's like no that's Thelonious monks and i was like what i didn't never heard the name Glasper too, as, as we're going down the rabbit hole, okay, I've got through Double Booked. I really like the trio stuff. What else does he have? I mean, In My Element, incredible record. Canvas is a remarkable trio record. The track uh, Enoch's Meditation, which I believe at the end of that track, I haven't heard it in ages, but I believe at the end, they get into this furious drum and bass kind of, you know, the which a lot of modern jazz was, was doing at that time, I think mm-hmm. early 2000s. They get into some blue and green at the end of that track as well, mm-hmm. which is favorite tune, of course. If, you, if you're doing anything with Bill Evans, I'm a fan. 
talk about the player's perspective, though, with this track. So if you're new to and Peter, this is where I think your your insight is going to be much more valuable than my own. But uh, there's so much to lift from this track, and it's all fairly gettable. I think when you're new to to studying, to me, it's hard to find a better approach than transcription or a better way. Like, I mean, having gone to music school and like. You can be given all of the assignments. You can be given all the analysis assignments, all that stuff. But like truly digging into to transcription, um, to me, is probably the the most beautiful and important practice you can actually do. And, and any thoughts on that, Peter? If you're learning a language, if you're learning a genre of music, if you're learning the style of somebody, if you if you're learning Herbie Hancock's music through the lens of Robert Glasper, if you're learning anything that can be you know kind of you know typified by a certain vibe which is really all a genre is um that if you transcribe or if you learn by ear that that's going to be the most powerful connection you have to that music not because then you're going to be able to play like robert glasper or even to be able to you know maybe ape his sound a little bit or imitate it or whatever but because of that process that you go through of learning that ear training that you know kind of uh taking yourself a taking yourself from being a fan to being a musician is the way i look at it a serious musician a lot of times we'll say like like i know people that are jazz fans and know you know say you know herbie hancock eye of the hurricane or or maiden voids that album they know that record so well like ashamedly better than I do. And I've been studying this record. I've cornered Herbie Hancock at dinner when I got to sit next to him and <laughs> tried to grill him about it. I've read about it. I've listened to it. I claim more than anybody. But there's people that are fans. They really know that record, but they don't know any chord on it. They can't play anything on it. So it's like we have to take both, I, I think, as right. musicians. Like we got to take that love, find that Venn diagram of, of our love and passion for the music, mm-hmm. but then actually become practitioners. It's like you're watching the NFL. Are you willing to put on the pads and go get hit like that there? <laughs> no, not of that. Extent. Yeah, exactly. You know, you <laughs> yeah. know the X's and O's. Are, that, that's what we're talking about, armchair quarterbacks. So I think yeah. <laughs> absolutely transcription is is that process of, of putting on that uniform, putting on that helmet and saying, not I'm going to be Herbie Hancock or, or, right. or Robert Glasper, but I'm going to go through the process of learning that language, of being able to converse in that language and, 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 and to be able to adopt the sounds and develop what is needed to be able to tell my story through this genre. Rob's solo uh, on this track, beautifully phrased, tons of space, tons of motivic development, some some hallmarks of a, of a great solo. There's also this really amazing build and peak that the band reaches together. So you're learning like, you got to listen to each other when you're playing this style of music and you can, can ride that wave together. So I want to play this peak for you guys. We also get a very, you know, Derek Hodge kind of plays homage to the original Paul Jackson bass line here um, at this moment. So that pedal there, building energy, building energy, and then it gets resolved. I mean, it's so cool. I, a note that that I learned 
I think from from Derek Hodge on this recording, particularly in the A section, is he's playing fretless uh, four string bass with his octave pedal, and to get that subby synth sound, he's yeah. playing higher up on the neck, but he's using all pedal. So when you have a dry knob on your whatever pedal, like you're going to get dialed up, you're going to get more effect, and dialed down, you're going to get more uh, of your bass sound. This is using all of the pedals tone. It's not using any of the bass. So you get this really subby sound. Another reason I picked this is because the lyrics are there. Because Casey Benjamin is presenting the lyrics. Actually written by Herbie's sister, Jean Hancock. Mm. Um, They're they're hard to hear them with the vocoder. There is a Gretchen Parlato version of this, uh, of course, where you hear them crystal clear. When it comes to learning to improvise, this tune and this version of this tune, it doesn't give you a ton of changes to blow over. I mean, the original, I believe, is on like an F7 vamp for the most part. So that's a challenge in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But if you're learning to play over changes, I know for me, like the first time I was learning to improvise and like the first standards I had that maybe had a whack of changes to them, it's just information overload for me. And it's like, oh my God, how do I spell these out? How do I connect them? How do I <laughs> play? And so here you have three essentially very loopable changes in F minor 11, A minor 11, F minor 11 again, and D minor 11. I also love the phrasing, um, the harmonic phrasing of these two, where it's not just chord on beat one, chord on beat one, chord on beat one. (laughs) You're getting the second chord on beat two. Again, a huge thing I was guilty of as a bass player. If it was time for a solo, I play the root a lot as a bass player and I play on beat one a lot as a bass player. So how do you think my solos started all the time as a bass player? Like on beat one with the root and some it's a really bad habit to, to that you have to break out of. Well, I, I'm ready to, to hop into Strasbourg, uh, if you guys are. I don't have anything totally. else on this track. The Let's, city uh, or the track? <laughs> I've never been, but it, it seems beautiful. We have the pleasure of listening to. That's the uh, that is the great Roy Hargrove with his quintet Strasbourg Saint Denis from Ear Food. I I just love this track. Yeah, uh, it's it's like a gateway. It's like it's like a Willy Wonka gateway. You know what I mean? Mm. It's like it's your way in, but then it's like you keep going around the circle and coming back, and it's your way back into music. It's the way back into music. So it's not like oh, this is for this is for the novice. This is for the experienced musician. This is for everybody that just loves. Um, joyful, wonderful art in the jazz form. Peter, I did see, I mean, and I have to ask, 
that you'd actually worked with with Roy uh, a little bit, right? Uh, do you mind talking a little bit about your experience there? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I got to play with his group in, in 94, actually a little bit in 93 and all through 94 and then up to the beginning of 95. But when I met Roy, and we were both in high school and Roy was already kind of somebody that you heard about. This was sort of pre-internet. Or maybe there was the internet, but I think only the military had access to it at that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, but but uh, actually, Wynton Marsalis was sort of like the jazz internet of this time mm. because Wynton was traveling around, like you know, doing gigs. And I met Wynton when I was like maybe fourteen years old, thirteen, when he came to St. Louis and played with the mm. symphony here. And my dad played in the symphony in St. Louis. And my dad met him and talked to him and was like, "Oh, you know." Uh, my son and some of his friends allegedly have this jazz group, blah, blah, blah. And Wynton's like, bring him down to rehearsal tomorrow. I want to meet him. And so he came down and met met him. And he gave me his phone number. And so I stayed in touch with him while through I was in high I mean, literally, he was That's the amazing. internet. But I remember him saying, man, you got you to gotta check out this trumpet player, Roy Hart. Like, he would be like, check out Thelonious Monk's record, Underground. Check out, you know, and I'd be writing stuff down on the mm -hmm. phone, you know, um, <laughs> while I'm talking to him. And then he was like, check out Roy Hart. I was like, oh, man, I'm going to go to the record store. And, and then he's like, yeah, he lives in, in Dallas. And he's... Uh, <laughs> 15 years old i was like man how am i gonna check this dude out man? <laughs> i'm here in st louis but i did meet him uh there was like a it was kind of like the gen conference at the time called i the iaje and my high school jazz band yeah. got invited yeah. to play and so we went and it was actually in dallas this is when i was like maybe a freshman or sophomore in high school it was in dallas so i was like i gotta find roy hargrove and um so i was just asking around at like this hotel oh or whatever and then i went over and found him and introduced myself and he was like oh man you're peter martin yeah winton told me about it. so like Winton was connecting <laughs> people connecting the dots. exactly he was that the instagram sort of dming people um <laughs> That's but, an interesting take on him. I've never heard that one before, but I like it. I know because he's like super stiff now, but yeah, but he was very. <laughs> I think this is something that is uh, just super accessible. Like you, you play this to anybody that has a heartbeat, i.e. anybody alive, yeah. I think, yeah. you know, you're going to get a little bit of foot tapping. You're going to get a little bit of this. You, you, know, you don't have to do any homework for it. This is very <laughs> much from the from the the tradition of you know bobby timmons and art blakey and you know feel good jazz um you know i'm thinking like moaning di different things Monin, like this yeah. where you can play stuff You know, it was right. the kind of thing that when you go to play that, you know, there was a neighborhood just half a mile from where I am right now in St. Louis called Gaslight Square. And all the great musicians from St. Louis and then the ones like big time, you know, be it Miles Davis or whoever would come back. And there was like four jazz clubs. There was amazing kind of situation. But even if it was like Miles coming back into town with his latest quintet or whatever, like you had to play some of this kind of Strasbourg. I mean, that hadn't been written yet because Rory wasn't born yet. But, you know, that kind of like feel good, that kind of jazz. You had to do right. some of that. You couldn't come in straight with agitation. You couldn't hit with that first. So 94... 
um, I toured with Roy that whole year, and we were like working nonstop. I mean, like we were going on a tour to Europe, and we literally didn't know what when we were coming back. Like the itinerary would still be being worked on, and they would just be adding on and booking things. But we used to play at this place called Hot Brass in um, Paris. Basically, it was like a jazz club, but then it would become like a, a, a club club, kind of hip-hop club afterwards. And so we'd do like two sets, but there was this like overflow of like jazz audience, and then younger people coming in, and they'd kind of be getting there when we were doing the second set, and then they'd have a DJ takeover. But, but I remember Roy was like you know the second set he started that that was like the beginning of the rh factor kind of thing but he didn't have any of that music written so he would just like call tunes that we all knew from growing up like parliament funkadelic stuff mm. herbie yeah. stuff whatever by the third night or whatever the young people coming in they would already be starting to dance while we were still doing the set and so then we do like a third set and then the dj would do some stuff with us and it would go like kind of organically right into that and a lot of the jazz people would stay would stay so it's just to say that like roy had that you know genius kind of innate ability to connect with that same kind of like toe tapping gateway whatever you want to call it with what the sound is and it's not even about the sound of that time it's not about like well, Taylor Swift has the pop hit now, so let's make a jazzy version. No, no, no. Yeah, but, yeah, it was like, yeah. but it was more just like these things that never changed. People people want to dance. People want to tap their foot. Yeah. That's always been a part of jazz, but it gets lost sometimes with this other kind of stuff that we do. And I, I mean, you know, and we can talk about different things like that, but that's not necessarily the gateway to get into this music, I would say. Mm-hmm. One, one, I mean, a simple thing like on this track that, that hit me was that, um, the call and response moment in the head that like pretty straightforward and simple melody, but because they displace it a little bit at the end, it becomes yeah. something ultra, ultra hip. So I want to play that, uh, right now for you both. beautiful taking something so simple and just stretching it and making it fit and and making something really really creative out of it i mean it's so good uh i gotta get your take on is that is it gerald clayton on piano yes gerald clayton how about that solo I mean, it's just the whole record is just amazing, and mm-hmm. I think Gerald. Like, I knew Gerald's playing and, and knew of him. Of course, I knew his, I've known his dad for for many years, and just a huge fan of the whole family. But I think that starting with that solo, the way that Gerald does that, it's sort of you know, if you look on sort of the macro level of how it inf- unfolds on this recording, you know, Gerald sets up again without any kind of planning. I know, but just with a very um advanced sense of musical architecture you know he starts that solo where he does and the and and you know there's a science actually behind starting it muted and stuff like that's going to set things mm-hmm. up in a way in a place that you can go because it's very static um you know uh, harmonically this is mm-hmm. very static this is all just sort of a one diatonic area with I think like one other little chord, but I mean it's very static harmonically, so melodically and rhythmically and texturally, that's your areas to play. That's your playground to to go into. Mm-hmm. 
topic of it being like a gateway jazz track, I know that the only thing I keep talking about is that horn line, but it just stands out to me so much. I do think that's a line you could, you could put that line in just about any genre of music and it would work. You know, like I'm picturing that melody in like an, an orchestral piece or a hip hop piece or a pop song and it, it works. And I think, you know, the melody's the part most listeners are going to walk away humming. Yeah. So... If you can grasp that, even if you're not like a jazz head, then that's that's pretty successful in terms of gateway. And I mean, how much jazz has maybe some great improvising, great playing, maybe even great grooves and stuff, but there's nothing in it that's singable, you know? Mm. And then what do we right. say as jazz musicians? You're like, ah, oh, you didn't do your homework. <laughs> you didn't study the YouTube video before you came to the gig, you know? And so it's like, but this is interesting because it's actually a pretty complex and difficult thing to sing i mean like that's not the easiest thing no but he makes it easy like and so that's always the genius and that's the gateway is like make something tricky sound simple what do you think some common misconceptions new listeners of jazz might have yeah that everything we're doing is improvised i get that question all the time it's like how much is are you guys doing anything improvised or is everything like like they don't understand like that it's a combination and we don't always understand that either because i'll hear people answer that on a gig that I was on, like, well, 80% of it was improvised. And I, somebody else was like, 37%, you know? <laughs> so I think there's a misconception on our side. But but again, like you talk about a Herbie Hancock or a Roy Hargrove or, you know, an artist that can make something extremely complex sound simple, not simplistic, but very simple. Very uh, Because the thing is, like, if something is distilled down to a simple state, if it sucks, you wish it was complicated, right? But if it's great, you're so glad that it's simple. I mean, it's like, oh my God, this great chef made this incredible, simple dish. But no one's right. ever like, they made this simple. There was only three ingredients and there was no, <laughs> and there was none of them were flavorful. It's like, no, it's no good. But when you've got that kind of flavor and you can hear that swag and that flavor, the way that Roy plays that line and the way Montez mm-hmm. Coleman you know, sets up the group, and you can't separate any of these parts. I would say on this track. I mean, I've tried to, and I mean, I I played I played this tune, but a couple of weeks ago, right here in the studio with Montez Coleman playing drums, and That's I was awesome. like, damn, I'm trying to get that Roy vibe, and he was like, man, Roy messing this tune up all the, you know. So I mean, it's like there, <laughs> there's all different ways to look at it, but I mean, w- w- what you can hear a lot of times the musicians we don't really understand. We, we have no objectivity for this. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I'm, I can be objective about this track as much as I can because I've listened to it a lot. And, you know, I can tell you that, that all these different elements kind of coming together as a perfect storm are led at different times by everybody. But Roy is the one who sets up the vibe, who had that vision. And then everybody kind of fell in the line and pushed things in the way that they did. I mean, Montez, you could say that he has, you know, is owning the groove. He certainly is. I mean, it's some of the best mm-hmm. just drum groove playing in, in a jazz record of, of all time. want to touch on something that you mentioned right at the be- uh, uh, right at the beginning Carter and that was you know um, with the call and response and the slight shifting of that 
I think that's mm. something, and we talk about misconceptions or just kind of how this music can be misconstrued, jazz in general, improvised artistic music, whatever we want to call it. But I would say that's kind of an example of when you get this thing set up right and you have enough things that are in place that are very simple and very dialed in. So you talk about the harmony is very is relatively simple, especially compared to a lot of you know, jazz music, giant steps or something like that. I mean, it's like, yep. it's very diatonic. It doesn't really go any place super unexpected. It goes, goes nice places. I mean, very yeah. great, yeah. fun places. But it's not like there's these harmonic aha moments where you're like, damn, what? You know, <laughs> you know like Butterfly or something. But, but so it's got that. And then it's got the groove like super dialed in. And then the linking together with the melody and the groove in a very dialed. So like everything is like, really dialed in, but there's like a lot of simplicity there. So then any decisions that are made to alter that simplicity are going to be super interesting because it's kind of like, you know, you go, it's like if you're looking outside the window and the weather's perfect and the sun is shining and there's not a cloud out there and like a, a bird flies by and the trees rustle, like you're going to be able to see that with a certain clarity and be like, wow, nature is beautiful. And then if it's like overcast or it's raining and it's dark or you don't have your glasses on, you look outside, you're like, wow, the world sucks. I mean, the nature, the, the damn bird is still there. Yeah. You just can't see it. So this is like everything is simple. But then I think because this music is so interesting when you have like active listening, not necessarily educated listening, but it's like mm -hmm. you're, you're tuning like what's going to happen. This is improvised and what's the interaction going to be. So then whenever something does change, when you've got this beautiful, clean, simple, clear palette, when something does change, like they're, they're playing back and forth and all of a sudden they just shift a little bit. That's a small thing, mm -hmm. but that becomes super interested because right. you have the focus of the listener there. Everybody wants to be a cat. Because the cat's the only cat who knows where it's at. Tell me everybody's picking up on that feline beat. Cause everything else is obsolete. A square with a horn makes you wish you weren't born. Every time it plays. Well, Mahea, we have a classic here. What, what, indeed, <laughs> what are we listening to? Uh, we're listening to possibly another misguided selection by this truly. Um, when I told Carter I was picking this song, he was like, you know who our guest is, right? Like, you, you know that you're going to be talking to people who actually know jazz. But, um, you know, I don't think we're I said that, but that's, something yeah, along that's those lines. Yeah. Um, but so we're listening to Everybody Wants to Be a Cat with um, an apostrophe instead of that second E. I think that's noteworthy. Yeah, every. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah, Everybody. That's how we say it in St. Louis. Um, but this is from the, the Disney animated film, The Aristocats, in which basically a very posh opera singing cat befriends <laughs> a jazz cat. And I don't remember the rest of it because it's been a while. Like, not a bad <laughs> premise for a movie, though, really. like I guess it's uh... based on a true story where some cats inherited a fortune. Um, oh, my God. But I did consider more serious uh, choices initially. I think I've mentioned before, I, I went to Berkeley, but up till that point, I had been mostly a classical kid. Everything mm -hmm. was gateway jazz to me very quickly. Mm. Um, but I considered stuff like Peace, Peace, Bill Evans, because Ooh, Debussy yeah. and Ravel are soft spots for me, and you hear those influences really strongly. And some more 
I guess, niche things like Milton Babbitt's All Set, which is a 12-tone piece that the Bill Evans Orchestra premiered. Ultimately, I think this is probably a gateway jazz song for far more people, (laughs) just because it's Disney and Disney's popular. And so if jazz wasn't a part of your upbringing, this might be the jazz you experienced as a child. (laughs) Mm -hmm. When did this film come out again? I want to say the early 70s, but I I, I don't have that number in front of me. Earlier than that, I think. I remember seeing it certainly as a kid, you know, I'm going to look it up right now. Uh, but it's been it's been it's a 1970 sure. so i'm Nin- right on the, on the edge of being right okay <laughs> man uh well yeah i mean there's still i you're putting your choice down there's still plenty i think you're I right know. as I've a gate as a gateway jazz song for sure it absolutely fits that theme well so. this one actually is probably of these three that we've gone over is <laughs> is probably by a factor of 10 to 20x the actual <laughs> gateway you know what i mean like it actually yeah. is True. for more for more people than very true for the reason that it's ultimately a a song written for children it's it's a gateway jazz song but it does have some really cool if stereotypical elements of jazz in the composition so i arranged this song for big band in college i think again not being like a jazz kid per se but um loving jazz and loving arranging i i tried to see what i could get away with in my song selection um i did this and i I had a lot of fun with it. There's a lot to work with in this song. Before I get into that, though, I I do want to just quickly address there's an ugly side to this song. I don't know if you guys remember the original version. I know, Carter, we talked about it a little bit. Is this song canceled? Is that what you're about to say? A section of it, I think. A section of it. They cut well over a minute out. I don't know how recently. Yeah, there's a very racist depiction of what is presumably an Asian cat. Come on, (laughs) Disney. There's also a portion that really sexualizes a female cat. <laughs> um, at first, I was like, oh, I'm going to choose something else because I don't, I don't want to get into that. But then, you know, I'm an Asian American woman. And mm-hmm. even though that's the version of the song I initially experienced, that's not what stayed with me. So much so that I forgot about that until recently. To me, it really presented the idea of jazz as this world that anyone could be a part of and enjoy and appreciate but i am glad that they've cut those things especially Mm -hmm. in a kids movie and um there's a lot of really amazing asian american and asian jazz musicians out there but i think the fact that you focused in on the quality the connection the the like as a kid yeah yeah and i think that that i mean i was just it was making me think of different things that i listened to as a kid mr rogers like that probably Mm -hmm. should have been the gateway like everything that was played on there by that fantastic trio sesame street that's a lot of jazz on there um i mean willy wonka i mean half of the 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 soundtrack is jazzy i guess Mm -hmm. but then can i can i just throw inside i don't mean to hijack here but no, please. <laughs> I would throw one movie that I got a big argument with my daughter a few years ago that is not Jazz Gateway, and that is La La Land. Basically, no jazz in it. It has show music, <laughs> like Broadway music, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. I got to ask you, just because it hit me, your thoughts on Whiplash. I thought it was, I thought it was a, good, a, a really good movie. I mean, it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't, you know, it's funny. I didn't go to jazz school, but I went to conservatory. I went to classical conservatory. Hmm. So... Um, that probably, at least when I was coming up, 
was closer to what I saw like <laughs> at Juilliard, actually. Because a lot of people are like, that's yeah. not the way jazz school is. I was like, well, that's the way Juilliard was. Why do you suppose I just hurled a chair at your head, Neiman? You know, we're talking about the, the elitism of the mm -hmm. jazz audience and jazz musicians and that being a... If, if not a misconstrued, a correctly construed element of this music. <laughs> um, but I think that's, you know, when, when all these musicians were like, oh, I can't believe it, you know, the guy's holding the stick with the wrong hand yeah, and he doesn't yeah, play. Yeah. And I'm like, think of all the, first of all, just be glad they made a, a very good movie about that. Jazz, was my, you know, exactly. Not a yeah. crappy movie. Sorry for the tangent, Mejia, but I, yeah, I needed to. No, I, I think that's an get... important thing. And I think that that's something that when selecting the song, I didn't feel like I, I could. Like, I, I almost felt like I had to stick with it after being reminded of its past. Because I think that is, there's an element of that to jazz in general, or music in general, you know? Like, there are parts of our history and our culture that aren't things that we should be proud of, but they are things that got us to the point we're at. Yeah. Um, it's dangerous to turn a blind eye, because if you do, then it'll be a lot harder to recognize that thing right. if it comes back. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, don't have an don't have an Asian cat playing chopsticks with chopsticks in a scene where everybody else gets to play cool jazz. You yeah. Know? Like, right. Just don't do that. <laughs> um, that's my disclaimer. Went with it anyway because it felt important too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the song just to jump back into that stuff. It wasn't initially the song that was supposed to appear in the film. In the movie, it's literally the gateway into this jazz world of jazz cats. Right. Hmm. So they just needed something about jazz <laughs> that sounded like jazz. They initially were going to do a song called Le Jazz Hot. That'll really see you through. It'll ease the strain on your fevered brain and help your mind to just unwind when you don't know what to do. Seem to pursue you like a diabolic plot. When you get uptight, what'll set you right? Jazz hot. And you can hear that in a fully produced version on Disney's, I think it's called the Lost Chords albums, all the songs people wrote for them that they didn't end up using. <laughs> I think, as like a child's first impression of jazz, the other direction resonates a little better for me mm -hmm. personally. Yeah, definitely. Like a diabolic plot. When you get uptight, what'll set you right? Jazz hot, the jazz hot. When the brakes ain't breaking your way, wipe it tied up in a knot. What's the coup de grace to that? This song was written by Al Rinker and Floyd Huddleston. Al Rinker began his career with Bing Crosby. Floyd Huddleston worked with Decca for a long time. So he also wrote songs that were recorded by like Sarah Vaughn and Frank Sinatra. Do you recognize the voice? Like the I I mean it's Scatman. Yeah. Yeah. Scatman um, Crothers. Who, Scatman Crothers. I, I of course can only place him in the shining. And one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah. So that part was initially meant to be Louis Armstrong. Was the hall and makes you wish you weren't born. If a time he plays, oh, a rinky dinky dinky with a square in the act, you can set music back to the caveman days. But yeah, so there's some authenticity to this. Like they, mm -hmm. they tried Absolutely. to a point. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's a great choice. And it got me, I was trying to remember because we did. I was part of a project that was like Disney. I just one of these things I just totally forgot about. But this yeah. will kind of bring it full circle with Roy Hargrove. I 
You know about that record? Yes, yes. I was actually going to ask. And I couldn't even remember. I'm like, did this come out? But I think the name of the record is Everybody Wants to Be a Cat. And Roy Hargrove and his group, um, this is like a Disney jazz vault. And I remember when Disney jazz, they were going to do this whole thing. And we went and recorded a bunch of stuff really quickly. But, But everybody did like one tune. And Roy did Everybody Wants to Be a Cat. Peter, I mean, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. We couldn't have had a better guest. You couldn't have picked a better tune. You wear so many different hats in in the music world. Uh, I'd love for you to now share with our listeners just everything you're up to with You'll Hear It, of course, with the open studio, with your own music. The floor is yours. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks, Thanks for having me. This has been so fun. Um, open studio you can go to openstudiojazz.com and check out all the things that we're doing it's been super exciting because it's really become more of a I mean we have great courses from artists like Christian McBride Diane Reeves Sean Jones Mm -hmm. Adam Manis Uh, we have a brand new course from Fred Hurst the legend um, you know who 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 taught Gerald Clayton and and um, Jason Moran Rob Glasper I mean a whole generation of pianists So we have the courses, but we have a community now. Like that's the thing I'm most excited about. We we have folks from around the world that get together. We even have some um, live Zoom sessions with our Open Studio Pro program uh, that I affectionately and unauthorized by our attorneys called Peloton for Pianists. Uh, <laughs> patent pending on me being allowed to say that, yeah. but. Um, <laughs> It's just really exciting because, y- y- you know, folks are getting better. Like, that's yeah. the crazy thing. Like, this whole thing, I started this whole thing six years ago, you know, just because I didn't have time to teach people that wanted this, you know, when I was touring. And so I was yeah. like, well, I can do the second best thing and, you know, make some video lessons and maybe courses and, and, and see where that goes. But what it's become now is really a community kind of meeting place where everybody's rallying around jazz. On the podcast side, we have the You'll Hear It podcast, yeah. which we've done something like, I want to say 700 episodes now. Wow. And Because uh, yeah. we started out with the brilliant idea of doing it daily. And Ooh, um, <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> That sounds like so much work. It was, so much it was work, a lot of yeah. work. And then we went to like three times a week and we've been sort of wavering. Doing, we've been doing more long form stuff. So it's been like twice a week. And we're in the middle of our little summer hiatus, which we usually do in in August. So we're coming back next week with a brand new season that's going to be very exciting because we're not even ready to announce it yet. The the last kind of full full length CD record I did is called What Lies Ahead, um, and it's about four years ago with Greg Hutchinson uh, on. It's really a trio based record, and then we have a few special guests. Um, but Greg Hutchinson on drums and Ruben Rogers on bass, which, which have kind of been my long long time trio uh whenever we can get together um and you know everybody lives in like different countries now so it's even harder mm. but uh that's i think it's a, it's a good record i mean i i that's like one of the only records i've ever made under my own name or actually period with anybody uh that i put on for listening enjoyment i wouldn't put it at that's gateway awesome. le- level but it's like sometimes i do put it on and enjoy it so i think that's a fun <laughs> one um, and then, you know, we're actually about to do a new project with this same, uh, well, it's actually a slightly larger group, but it's sort of that same foundation that's not quite confirmed yet. So I probably shouldn't go in too much <laughs> just not to overpromise. but that, you know, we're, we're doing this project and it's going to be, it's going to be a recording, but I think it's going to be a little bit more than that too. Cause it's going to have a lot of video, 
um, components because uh, a lot of what we're doing at Open Studio now is moving to not just the courses, which are really, you know, and the education and the tutorial side in that community, but there's such an overlap between just people that love music, just like us. And that's going to do it for this episode of Themes and Variation. Thank you so much for listening. We want to know your favorite gateway jazz song. So as always, there is a link to a Spotify community playlist in our show notes. Feel free to add your selections there. Be sure to check out soundfly.com for all of your music learning needs. And we'll be back in two weeks with a new episode and a new theme.